Turn in your Bibles, please, to first, or excuse me, Second Samuel, chapter two. Second Samuel, chapter two. We will read verses 1 through 17. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant. For Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gideon and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And that time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Abner the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab the son of Zeruiah and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, 12 for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore that place was called Helkath Hazurim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us, and we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would come and speak to us now, that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up in it 
the sheep would hear the voice of the good shepherd and know him and follow him in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. House divided. It was common knowledge in Israel that David would be king. The Lord had promised he would be king. So you would think that the death of Saul, there would be consensus that it was time for David to be king. But instead, a civil war breaks out. And at the beginning of this war is this man we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 2, Abner. Abner has complete disregard for the word and will of God. And consequently, he has little regard for human life, even the lives of his own people. And as a result, Abner has the blood of the nation of Israel on his hands. This passage, as it recounts the origins of this civil war, lays out a contrast between Abner and David. One seeks the Lord while the other disregards it. One waits on the Lord while the other tries to seize control. And in that contrast is the message of this passage. And it is this. God has appointed the true king and the rejection of this true king inevitably brings destruction. Now let's look at this house divided. First in this passage, we see the anointing of King David. The anointing of King David. Look at verse one. After this, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. And we know David has made some poor decisions over the years running from Saul. But David has not been abandoned by the Lord. As of late, we have seen the Lord drawing David back in. When Ziklag was destroyed, we saw that David strengthened himself in the Lord and inquired after him. Now we see David inquiring of the Lord again. Here the Lord tells him to go home to Judah. That's David's tribe, you know, to the town of Hebron. Look at verse 2. So David went up there and his two wives also. I know them of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household. And they lived in the towns of Hebron and the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. 
You see, David takes his wives, his people, men that were fighting for him, and their families, and he goes to Hebron. And there, they anoint David king over the tribe of Judah. And you remember, David had long ago been anointed in private by Samuel at his father's Jesse's house. Bethlehem. Now he's being publicly anointed king, but only king of his tribe. Eventually, he'll be publicly anointed king of the whole nation. The great old commentator Matthew Henry says, See how David rose gradually. He was first anointed king in reversion, then in possession of one tribe only, and at last of all the tribes. Thus the kingdom of the Messiah, the son of David, is set up in degrees. He is Lord of all by divine designation, but we see not yet all things put under him. Now, we'll come back to that. But we need to go ahead and, and get it on the table. The way David, as king, foreshadows Jesus Christ. David was already anointed by God to be king, but he faced resistance and had not yet become the functional king of the whole nation. But now let's move along. We see the anointing of King David. Secondly, in this passage, we see the first act of King David. Look at verse 5. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now... May the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant for Saul, your Lord, is dead. And the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Now, David's first recorded action as king is to commend the men of Jabesh-Gilead for honoring King Saul and his sons. Now, you remember when Saul and his sons were killed in battle, their heads were cut off and they were hung on the wall. That the men of Jabesh-Gilead had risked their lives to go rescue the bodies of their king and his sons from the Philistine wall of shame and bring them home to give them decent burial. David now honors them. This was one of those rare occasions in world history, even in the Bible, where a genuine heartfelt action was also a shrewd political move. We read David's lament 
when Saul and Jonathan fell. We've read of David's respect for King Saul, even though Saul had gone crazy and was trying to kill him. He was still a king. And David still honored him as king. So David is very sincere in his commendation of the men of Jabesh Gilead. But it also happens to be good politics. At this point, David is only king of Judah. This is a good public relations move. Unity is not a hollow word that serves as nothing more than a worthless platitude for David. David knows that real unity must be built on the honor of God and thus the honor of the king God had anointed even though that king Saul had been a menace to David personally. The men of Jabesh Gilead had taken heroic measures to honor their king and their God and thus they were worthy of great honor so David honored them. So we see the anointing of King David the first act of King David. And thirdly, and finally in this passage, before you get too excited about the time, we're going to have to expand on the third point a little bit. We see the resistance to King David. The resistance to him. Look at verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ish-bosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim, and he made him king over Gilead, and the Asherites, and Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all Israel. Ish-bosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Now three sons had died in battle with Saul. But Ishbosheth survived. And here we read that the commander of Saul's army, Abner, makes Ishbosheth king of all Israel but not Judah. So now we have two kings in Israel. David is king in Judah and Ishbosheth is king of the rest of the nation. We all know how well that works out. This results in a civil war, which we'll see in coming chapters. But for now, it's important we understand that Abner absolutely knew better than this. 
Turn ahead a page to 2 Samuel 3 and look at verse 6. Preach next week's message today, but this gives some context. 3 6. While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now, Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David, and yet you charge me today with fault concerning a woman. Pay careful attention to verse 9. God do so to Abner and more also if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. Now let's not get ahead of ourselves, but for now, the point is Abner knew better than how he was acting in 2 Samuel 2. He clearly knew the Lord had sworn to David to make him king of the whole nation. Yet, he flagrantly contradicted the word of God. The word God had sworn. Abner contradicted the word of God in establishing Ishbosheth as king. Why? The best clue as to why he did that is what we just read in 2 Samuel 3, 6. It says during this civil war, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Abner was kin to Saul. He was Saul's general. And he viewed it to his, as being to his personal advantage to establish Saul's son as king. What God had said and what was best for the nation was irrelevant. Abner was mostly about Abner. And as a result, he had disregard, tremendous disregard for human life. Now back on the text, 2 Samuel 2, look at verse 12. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ish-bosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. 
And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon, and they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, 12 for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore that place was called Helkath Hazurim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And we need to cut this off at this point in the text. But notice that when Abner is now Ishbosheth's commander and Joab is David's commander. So you got two sides, two kings, two generals. Ishbosheth and Abner, David and Joab. And their men meet at the pool in Gibeon. Now that's Saul's home country. And you see that Abner says, let the young men compete. See in verse 14, Some translations say, let the young men make sport. King James has the best English translation. It says, let them play. Modern translations don't want to equate fighting to the death with play, so they sanitize it a little bit. We'll lose the point. You see, this is how Abner views armed conflict. It's sport. It's play. Again, old Matthew Henry says, Fools thus make a mock at sin but he is unworthy of the name of a man that can be so wasteful of human blood that can throw about firebrands arrows and death and say am I not in sport in other words old Matthew Henry said a man who can refer to shedding of human blood in this way as a game is not worthy to be called a man. But you see, when God's word is contradicted, then human life made in his image is cheapened. 
So Abner starts an unnecessary and unjust war to overthrow not the reign of David so much as the reign of God. Because God's plan does not prosper Abner as he thinks it should. What we have in this passage is a small scale of what Scripture says in the second Psalm, Psalm 2. It says the king's And rulers of the earth conspire, take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us break their bonds. Let us throw off the rule of God and his anointed and go our own way. God had anointed David As king. But ultimately and finally, his anointed is Jesus Christ. That's what Christ means anointed. The kings. And the rulers of the earth will not have God or his Christ to rule over them. So now we come back. David's reign foreshadows Jesus Christ. David's greater son the Lord's anointed, the true king. And the kings and rulers of the earth have been taking counsel together and will continue to take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed and the world is united in opposition to the reign of God And of his Christ. And as the world turns against the reign of God, the value of human life is cheapened just as it was for Abner. In our time, we see mass genocide perpetrated in the womb. An endless, unnecessary, and unjust wars prosecuted all over the face of the earth. But Psalm 2 says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. The day came 
when the war ended and David took his rightful place. And the day will come when the last battle, Armageddon, shall end. And Jesus Christ shall reign in the new Jerusalem. And though now the kingdoms, the kings of the earth take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Christ, on that day it will be said, Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever. So Psalm 2 says, kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish. This is a time for choosing. Who is on the Lord's side? Moses asked the people, Elijah said to the people, if the Lord be God, follow him. King David himself says, kiss the son. You can receive Jesus Christ as your rightful and only king and submit your whole life to his authority or you can go to hell. This is a time for choosing. Who is on the Lord's side? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.